Hey, Faye, how's it going? Hey, Harry, aloha. It's going great. So glad to connect with you and chat with you about this. You know, we've been working together for a while. Um, always love your energy and attitude, but don't really feel like I know that much about yourself and your background. So, um, yeah, just looking forward to to learning more. Um, now, you're in Hawaii, right? I live in Hawaii, yes. I have been here for 13 years. And where did, so where did you uh, come from originally? Where did you grow up? Originally, I'm from Venezuela. I was born and raised in Caracas. I have been in the States for a long time, and the last 13 years have been here in Hawaii. Okay, cool. What brought you to the States? Life, I guess. I was living in Europe at the time, and um, my boyfriend got, at the time, got a notification saying that he won the green car lottery. Most Americans don't know there is a green car that runs around the world. You guys don't know about it because you don't need it. So we were in Europe and he got selected and we went back, did all the paperwork and we ended up in the States in San Francisco, thanks to that. Wow. Wow. Mm -hmm. That's that's wild. How long were you in San Francisco? We, be, we, we were in the San Francisco Bay Area for like six, seven years, probably. Mm -hmm. Yes. What do you think of it? You know, I wanted the least mainstream American uh, population to join. So I thought that San Francisco could be the one and I loved it. For being a city, I, I really love how forward thinking, how open-minded, how, you know, they are um, there. And the only thing that I didn't like much was the cool. I was always freezing. I um spent four months in San Francisco back in 2014. I was learning how to code there. That was the only time I'd ever been and have been. I don't think I've been back. Um, I was just stunned by how beautiful it is where you can be walking down these amazing urban corridors and you see the water on both sides of you. Um, that was my favorite part, I think. I lost you for a second. You got frozen. That's okay. I was just saying that that was my favorite part was just you felt like you were in this very modern urban environment, but you could still see the ocean on both sides of you a lot. Yeah. It's a fascinating so, city. Yeah. So um, were you an artist from a young age? Um, how, how did you get into art yourself? The answer to that is yes, I have been always an artist. When I graduated from high school, I was crystal clear that I wanted to be a fine artist. And then I had the idea to share that with my dad because he asked me, okay, what do you want to study now? And I'm like, I'm going to be a fine artist. And his answer was, you are going to starve to death. And I believe him. So what I chose to do was I still painted and I still got training throughout. I was just in the closet. I, I just painted for me. I, I was not exposed into the world. What did you study instead then? I studied film. Tell me more about that. I 
I'm the youngest of three. I'm the only girl. And the age difference is five and seven. So I always saw my brothers as my mega heroes. And there was always people in my house. And one afternoon, I remember that one of their friends was saying, I'm going to study film. And honestly, I had no idea what that meant or what that entailed. I just know that bells went off for me. And I'm like, that is super cool. And I'm going to study that. So I did. I went to film school, a couple of different ones back home in Venezuela. I went to film school here in the U.S. And I have been a filmmaker my whole life, pretty much. What, what is film school like? Oh, that's a great question. What is film school like? The best film school I can say is hands-on on a film set. Film school is great because it does provide the theory and examples. And however, there is no way to learn filmmaking unless you are making a film or an audiovisual project, right? So, so the classroom is great, yet it lacks the hands-on. And then, yes, it's like a little catch-22, nonetheless. Totally. Do you know who James Cameron is? James Cameron? No. He is the director of movies like The Titanic, oh, Avatar. Oh, yes, of course I know. You know yes, him? yes, yes, I know him. Supposedly, he didn't go to film school, but he was near a film school or near a university, and he would just go and let Xerox papers on filmmaking and read them on his own and then just somehow self-taught himself how to do it. Isn't that wild? Yes, it is. And that's really how you learn. You learn hands-on. It doesn't matter you have a phenomenal resume. It's, it's really who you are and what you bring on the project, on the film set, on a daily basis. What was your favorite class you took in film school? One of my favorite classes was here at UH Manoa. It was a Spanish film class. So I needed to watch Spanish films on a weekly basis and I needed to write essays about it and talk about the cinematographic language and the camera movement and the lighting, like do more analytical stuff. I loved it. I really loved that. Is there a film from that class that you would recommend people watch if they're not as familiar with Spanish films? Um, yes, I would say definitely it will be great to watch all of the films from Almodovar, and especially from that class, that curriculum. I remember Labyrinth. Um, it's a phenomenal film that touches multiple themes and... It includes real magic realism, which is something that I, I like and appreciate a lot in a film. Yes, you have the historical facts and it's great when, you know, other creatures, other uh, environments are um, added into it, like magic realism. Is this, uh, this is not Guillermo del Toro's like Pan's Labyrinth? Is that that yes, movie or something? Yes, Pan's Labyrinth. Okay. Model. Yes, exactly okay. that. Cool. I've seen that. Um, it was a while ago, but yeah, I remember that being good. Um, that, mu that must have come out, though, in the 2000s, though, or something like yes. that, right? Cool. So you got to study not only like older films, but probably pretty current films that were coming out. 
That's awesome. Um, what, um, so when you got out of film school, did you work in film right away? Yes. How did you get into the film industry? That was the way. And that's a great question. So in one of the masterclass, a major Venezuelan director named Cesar Bolivar visited the school and he gave a talk and he came in with his assistant and he was talking about his upcoming projects and he was going to be shooting in a couple months or so this film. And I wrote my name, my last name, phone number, and gave it to the assistant and said, I would love to be part of Cesar's next project. And I forgot about it. And I received Wait, a few Faye, months. Yes. Let me jump in real quick first. Yes. Why did you think to do that? Where does that come from? How did you think to be proactive like that at that age? How? Yeah. Did it just, did you just, you just thought that was the right thing to do or did a parent or a mentor or somebody encourage you to be kind of proactive and put yourself out there. How did you decide to take that chance and do that? Because I wanted to be in the film industry and that was a chance just hungry. right there. Massive yeah. Venezuelan director. Like this is it. So what did you weren't I afraid have to of mean? being, you weren't afraid of being rejected or anything like that. You're just like, what's, what's, yeah. What to, what's to lose? No, the last thing, the worst thing was a no. And that didn't even happen. You know, like I just, yeah, wrote my name, wrote it. I think I was the only person who did that. Did anyone that. else do that? Did no, anyone, yeah, no one else did it. <laughs> I was the only one because I was the only one who got an internship from that town. <laughs> All right. So, so say more. So you, you gave them the number, you didn't hear from them for a little while. And then did they call you eventually? So a few months after the phone rings and he's the art director and she's calling me and say, I got your contact information from da da da. And we have an internship position in the art department. Are you interested? And I was like, absolutely. Yes. I mean, no questions asked. So that was my entryway into film immediately into a feature film that had a budget that had famous Venezuelan talent that, you know, it was a high-end production, so to speak. That's how I started. And then from there, I got immediately into my second internship, also in the art department. And I mean, films take so long to shoot. So three months of production right on set, hands-on, is not compared to the best film school on the planet. Sure. Well, yeah, let me ask you this. Like, so what was it like to be on your first real film set? Do you remember what it was like? Yes. I had a smile from here to here and never <laughs> went away. I was so fascinated. It was, it was spectacular just to discover and to see the behind the scenes and to see how a space is a space. And then all of the sudden our department comes in and it's a Set and it's changed and now it has textures and colors and moods. It's just, it's magic. We make magic. It's phenomenal. I've never been on a set, but I imagine it feels kind of like this small town pops up, right? There's so many people walking around doing different things. Did you get that sort of energy? Yes, um, definitely. You should come to one of my sets one day, Harry. That would be fun. 
That would yeah, be great. Be I'd love to do that. I um, I've been uh, recently watching a little bit of the show Entourage on HBO. Do you know that show? I haven't seen it yet. I have heard of it. Yeah. Doesn't really matter, but yeah, the premise is it's following you know a young Hollywood star, and so the characters are his entourage, like his friends, and one of them's his producer, and then he's got his agent, and they're trying to make their own movie. And um, yeah, right now they're in they're making a movie called Medellin, which is about, I think, Pablo Escobar <laughs> and oh. filming that. And they've got the set and everyone's running around and doing different things and tearing things down and setting things up. But it seems like a very interesting lifestyle because you, like you said, you, it takes a long while to make the film, but then the film's over and now you have to figure out what you're going to do next, right? Exactly. It's the best word to define film is intensity, is very intense, intense to come together, intense to make the project happen, and then poof, it goes away. It's all gone. Until next one. <laughs> like a so you're always having to basically get another job. So what is that? Like in a lot of other fields, you know, you might work at a company and it's just, you know, you set new initiatives for the quarter or the year, but you know that you're not going to be working with a different group of people, dra dramatically different next year. Um, how is that like in film? Do you guys kind of become friends and give each other jobs and keep a lookout for what's coming next? Like, how do you how do you stay busy in the film industry? Great question. Um, it is a tight industry. Again, we could have a phenomenal resume in paper. What really matters are um, the word of mouth references. Connections. Because yeah. after three months of shooting a film, you know, deprived of sleep, hard circumstances and such, people will remember your performance, right? So um, it's the people who you know, it's, it's the word of mouth and it's really, uh, in my case, what I bring, right? How I work sure. that people will remember. And, and it's a very small industry. It's tight. So people can call very quickly. Hey, this person was recommended. Have you heard of him or her? Do you have any input? And we producers do that. Like we totally, Hey, do you have, I need of production assistance. Do you have any names that you can throw in? It's, it's like that. It's, it's a tight commitment. So I imagine it's like getting that first foot the door into the field is very hard. But if you do that and then you do well, then it's kind of gets easier and easier from there. Is that fair? Correct. Yes. Then it just really comes naturally. Like I don't really do much networking anymore for filmmaking. Like projects come and go. And it's like the ocean tides, right? There are moments that the industry is pulsing and there are moments that it's just more still and quiet <laughs> okay so what does an art you know department intern do on a film set do you remember what were some of your duties watch right like just <laughs> observe watch everything observe um and i would just be with them in the first film I had more an opportunity to observe and then I'll be with a prop master. We will go together and purchase props or we could uh, help organize. I could help organize the days and the props that we needed for the days. 
um, things like that. It really depends on the project. There is nothing set in stone. It depends on how big, how, how small the art department is. On this second example that I'm going to give you on my second film, our department, we were three people, our director, prop master, and yours truly, and I was an intern. So, and we had a lot of shooting at night. And because we were three, we literally needed to take turns who is sleeping, who is prepping for next day, and who is on set. So even though I was an intern, I had the responsibility to be on set. And so when on set, we watch for continuity. So the props and the elements are exactly in the same position, whether talent use them and place them somewhere else. If we are resetting, everything has to be exact, right? And protect the set. It's a hot set, which means no drinks, no food, no don't move stuff. Like it's, it's hot. And that was fascinating. Just in an entryway, I had an opportunity to be that close, right? That responsible. I loved it. That's so cool. Yeah. And so you were having to go get coffee or things like that, that often, or <laughs> it wasn't that. No, I mean, for my team, for the art department, I could definitely not for the rest. Yeah. But it sounds like you had some real duties as well. Yeah. Pretty, pretty I was nice. super fortunate um, because these two films back to back, like that was it. And then after that, I started my film career back home in Venezuela. Yeah. How did the those early films do? Were they well received? Did you like get to go see them in theaters yourself? The first one was huge. Um, as I mentioned, it had a juicy budget. It was famous artist, so it did really well. The second one, I'm not even certain if they finished or not. The second one I never saw. Hmm. What was the plot of the first one? Do you remember anything about it? Yes, they, um, it's called Muchacho Solitario, which means like lonely, it wouldn't be lonely, lonely, lonely boy, something like that is the story of two singers, sons of a major Venezuelan singer. They have a little love story and it, and it's their plot. It's this young, famous artist and, you know, love lives and things like that. Nice. Cool. So you started out in the field, in the art, art directing field, but you eventually got behind the camera more so and more into directing. Is that right? Yes. So how did, how did, how, were there steps along that way and how did you kind of navigate the industry and make transitions? Oh my gosh, this, these questions are phenomenal. Great. So I did my two films, right? And those were a bunch of months on experience, that I gained experience. Now, I love being in the art department. Absolutely. However, I kept my eyes always um, looking after the first assistant director. The first AD is the person who runs the set. And pushes the machine forward. And I always felt so much respect and admiration for, you know, for what they do. It's a lot, right? They're responsible for the day, for the schedule. And after I got my two art internships, 
I started getting smaller jobs here and there. However, a friend of mine, casting director out of the blue one day offered me, said, hey, there is a director from Uruguay. He's having conflict with his assistant. Do you want to be a first assistant director? And I mean, a first AD is a massive role. And I'm like, of course. I was shaky. Nonetheless, I said, yes, of course, I'll do it. And from that moment on, I became a first aid. Um, I worked with that director, Cacho Bañasco, for many, many years and many other directors as well. So I left Venezuela being a first AD. Like, so you got the, your first what? AD job in Venezuela and yes. then when you, okay. What, um, I imagine like a role like that, you can know a bit about it. You can have seen someone else do it, but you don't really learn it until you do it for yourself for the first time. 100%. How did you navigate that? Did you have mentors or people that would help you or just learn on your feet? What was it like? I read books and, um, and I just jump in the water. There is no, there is no other way. Trial and error had to happen on set. That's it. And the director was happy with your, your performance? We were like best friends, that, which was, that was really good. And he took time to mentor me, actually. There are things that I still do today that I learned from Cacho. What were some of those things? So he had a very specific way of prepping boards, like shooting boards. What's and a shooting board? Imagine, imagine a nice piece of cardboard and you have the storyboard layout. So let me back up. After the films, my, the bulk of my work is TV commercials. Yes, I work in anything that has to do with audiovisuals, music videos, feature films, corporate. However, the bulk are TV commercials. So for TV commercials, we will come in and Cacho and I will make these boards with the storyboards, with the illustrations. And one will be the order of the commercial. So you'd have maybe, you'd have the text script and then with the text script, you kind of transfer it into rough images that correspond to the, the progress of the video. Is that right? Yes. Once we have the casting and once we have locations, we give that information to the illustrator and the illustrator will then make, you know, the frames, draw the shots, so to speak, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. And, um, and then we will have one that it will tell the story and then we will have another one that will be the shooting order. Because you might shoot I, scenes in different order from the chronological order. We always, always. Why is that? That is a great question because there is so many elements that are into place. It has to do with talent availability. It has to do with locations availability, with weather, maybe. Lighting, yeah, environment. Yeah, with weather, like we want a sunny day and it's overcast. So we have, you know, it's always, the beauty of, it's always in flux. It's always changing. Yeah, you so occasionally see uh, actors talking about movies that they're in and because the scenes are shot out of order they don't even necessarily know like how the movie turns out plot wise you know <laughs> have you ever heard of that yes uh well they just have to trust 
Um, they're not paying. Yes, I guess if they're if they're not doing a good job of paying attention, but I've heard they're like, yeah, especially if it's like a big blockbuster and maybe they want to keep the ending secret and then they don't want the ending to leak or something like that. They keep the actors in the loop, uh, out of the loop, you know, on how the the movies end sometimes. A little bit, yes, it could happen. <laughs> yes, so. I, I developed my first AD name and reputation and career for like eight, nine years in Venezuela. And then I moved to San Francisco. And in San Fran, then I discovered a whole different realm. Could, could you not work abroad until you, or could you not work in the United States until you got that green card? I didn't explore that. And... I wasn't much interested in coming to the U.S. to work. I, I, at that time, I preferred Europe, if that was okay. a possibility. Yeah. Where in Europe? Spain. Because Spain's I great. Yeah, you would, you'd have that down. Yes. Like, I've been to Madrid and Barcelona, um, but I haven't been elsewhere. Both great cities. Very nice. Yeah. Yes. What part of Spain were you... In when you were there? Barcelona. Okay. So you know the Sagrada Familia? Yes. I did, I had a, a singing group in high school and we sang a concert in the Sagrada Familia. You did? Mm-hmm. How did Isn't that, that fun? turn out? It was fun. It was fun. I just, uh, yeah, I was very fortunate to get to sing in some cool places. <laughs> but very, I didn't know that skill of yours. Yep. Yeah, it's not something I've shared, but um, yeah, that place, it's still under construction. So I remember being in the actual cathedral and there being scaffolding up everywhere, you know, even though it's been worked on for so long still. I don't know still if you think they'll ever finish it. <laughs> no, it has advanced, yet it's still in construction. Still. I wonder if that, if the guy, uh, Gaudi, anticipated it would take this long or if just something's happened where people are just you know slow walking it or something like that it just surprises me that uh there's certain projects like that whether in spain or the u.s or whatever it's like we are we're just not as we're not very fast at some things anymore these days yeah. you know it's interesting yeah but that being said i mean cathedrals in the middle ages they would often take a hundred years or more to make very so true there's a there is tradition of that i lost you are you still there can you hear me no you're there okay um are you still there I can you hear me okay i i'm here yes now you're unfrozen, which is great so let me, um let me change my internet real quick and see if that makes the connection better just give me one second and, uh, yes, right. I'm going to let the puppy out. So that's perfect. I'll be right back. I'm dog sitting two huskies. And they asked to be let out here and Are you there?
Are you there? There you are. Hey, sorry about that. Um, let's see if this works. All right. So we were... Um, you were asking about my journey as a filmmaker, and then I told you about Venezuela becoming a first AD, and then I landed in San Francisco, and then we did it, and that, that was it. <laughs> and, oh, yeah, I was asking, did you ever think about working abroad? And then uh -huh. you said you liked Europe more, and we were talking about Spain and... The cathedrals i was the last thing i was saying was there is a history of cathedrals taking over a hundred years to be Correct. made hundreds of years so there's a tradition for that um but anyway yeah back to you and um so you were you got the call about the green card and then y'all went to san francisco and what sort of film work did you do in san francisco when you were there so i didn't do much film work back there I embraced like a whole different venue. It was holistic 
healing and what better place than San Francisco and the Bay Area. So I got immersed into hands-on healing, energy work, aromatherapy, uh, nutrition, and, and all that for a moment. Like I, de- I developed so that. You were me. saying you were raised in that? Did you say something? There was something you said you maybe you were already interested in that. Did you develop that interest in San Francisco or were you already interested in aromatherapy and energy work? Oh, I uh, was already interested in a holistic approach of living, right? Um, From Venezuela. How did you get into that there? I. I have had periods of my time where I was vegetarian, especially working in film and and being anemic, for instance. So, you know, I had to learn that it's not only cutting meat or animal products, like how to properly nourish myself so I am not anemic, which is an issue. Um, I face my own challenges and through that then I was able to learn and, and I'm fascinated. I, I love to eat. I love good food, especially if it's nutritious and tastes good and, and makes me feel good. Yeah. So how would you get into that field in San Francisco? Was it you were consulting with clients on that or working for companies on their nutrition or what did that look like? I found information. So in San Fran, when I landed, I was working in a bank, very different from filmmaking. Um, mm-hmm. And um, through meeting people and having conversations, then I discovered that San Francisco and the Bay Area had this wealth of knowledge in terms of holistic health and well-being, and I just couldn't get enough. So I was studying this, I was studying that, I was, you know, integrated in all, and it was fascinating to learn you on. That's where I learned about colors and the healing frequency of colors. And I use that a lot in my paintings, actually, just like sounds have megahertz that affect certain areas in the body and that can definitely help us. Um, move from one emotion to another. Colors do the same thing. They communicate and they have an effect, an effect on us, whether we know it or not. I believe that. And I want to talk to you more about that. So I was going to ask, like, so we've been talking a lot about your early film career, but were you able to find time at all in these early years to paint along the side? Or was this when, when you moved to San Francisco, when you started thinking about color and painting again? I was painting already uh, back home in Venezuela and I will have my maestros and I will sign up for classes and that was happening in parallel. I just kept it to myself because remember, I believe my dad saying that I was going to starve to death. (laughs) How did you find the time or carve out time to keep that practice up when you were doing the film work? It's what I love the most about both practices. Filmmaking is intense at all levels. And I have to talk with so many people from clients to workers. And and it's so much energy and it's so much going on and it's highly stressed. And then the opposite happens when I'm painting. is me 
plugged into the universe and in total solitude and and in the zone. So one supports the other. So yeah, it didn't seem like work to you. It was play or restorative. So it was easy to find time for it. Yes, definitely. Cool. Cool. So how did you learn about colors and frequencies? Do you remember, was it a certain class you were in or a friend who introduced you to those ideas? It was a class. I took multiple classes and I got certified in all kinds of things. I remember a quantum touch class, this hands-on healing, very famous. And I took Reiki as well. And they were exercises that they were doing with um, small rectangles, pieces of felt and different colors. And, and they were talking about the different colors and the different chakras and where they're located in the body and, and what type of energy they um, characterize and things like that. So that was my, my very first uh, awakening on the power of colors and, and their frequencies. And some of them, you know, have highly elevated frequencies like magenta and, and what kind of effect that can create in people's lives. So when I paint, I use that. I will always remember. So I'm, I'm curious, um, like in music, you know, different notes have different literal frequencies. Like an A is, I think, 44 hertz or something like that. Um, when people teach you these theories, do they explain, is there certain numbers and math behind what a color has, what frequency and so on? Or how, how do they get into the details on what a color's frequency is? How do they explain that? The answer is yes. I am not too technical or scientific. So I'm not going to provide that information. However, there are studies, and you're absolutely right, exactly as sounds have certain megahertz and vibrations and such, so the colors. Yeah. Um, yes, and there's a, a way to measure, and there are multiple studies, and it's fascinating. Yeah, it's it's curious to me because, I so, you know, I did web development for a while, and so, you know, when you're doing web development, you have to pick out colors all the time, um, work with colors. And um, there are frameworks that try to make it easier so you don't have to think about um, as much of the details. But historically, the frameworks that I use, there's one called Bootstrap. They didn't really uh, convey to you the sort of the mathematical relationship between different colors and how they relate. And then there's this new one that came up recently called Tailwind. And what's so great about it is it... Um, Basically, it will give you like a color, like a red, and then it gives you nine different shades of red, but it's, it's basically blending that red with either white or black, but it does it in the same mathematical proportion as it does with a blue and a green and a teal and a purple. And so you now have this palette of all these colors that um, if you use them together, they just feel very harmonious and you don't have to sort of think about it at all, which is really wild, but... um. Yeah, so I know a little bit about color theory from that, but it um, it's it's always been fascinating to me. Um, the understanding, like how if you can just translate the colors into numbers, it can help you figure out how to, how to pick out other colors around a certain color to make them balanced and just feel feel right to the human mind. And the mind doesn't even know why it feels right; it's just sort of a subconscious thing. 
going on. Does that make sense? Totally. Absolutely. Yes. How do you, so what medium do you use? Do you use paint? I use acrylic, acrylic on canvas, and I use watercolors less, nonetheless, I use it. I guess my, my, I was curious. So I know when you're painting, you might mix color together to get a certain shade, but it's not an exact science. You've got probably gradations and stuff like that. So do you ever concern yourself with getting the exact right color or mixing the right amount? How do you, or do you just have it be a little bit, you know, loose here and there? How do you, how do you think about making colors for your work? That's a great question. No, I'm not that analytical when I am painting. It's more a feeling and a visual. Um, and the beauty of acrylics is the more layers, the richer the paint. So sometimes I do want to use a specific color and that would be can be my full background. So instead of having a white background, then I have a bright orange background and then I will paint on top of that, right? And there will be layers and layers and layers. And maybe when the painting is finished, people don't even see the very first splash of um, hot color that I put. Nonetheless, it's there. You know, it's like, it's like subliminal, it's, it's there. It's frequency is still there. So hmm. no, I don't, I don't come in with an analysis of this and this and that. I do hear what the art collector wants. What do they want to feel? What do they like? And then, you know, I play with colors and it's more intuitive than, um, than technical for me. Okay. Okay, cool. So going back to San Francisco, when you were there, was there a lot of sort of tech companies already in San Francisco or was that still not kind of had bubbled up into the city? It was right at the verge. It's not like right now. Yeah. Um, I think Facebook was there in, in the South for sure. Uh, we were not bombarded with yet i think i i might have my timeline off but i think it was the 2010s when there was there was so much talent coming there but they didn't want to live outside in silicon valley which was kind of more suburbs they wanted to be in a cool environment so then all of a sudden all the companies either started moving to san francisco from silicon valley or they would start having buses that bus people in and out um so what was your yeah so what was your san francisco experience like did you have a lot of friends that were other artists what sort of mix of people did you hang out with? One of the beauties of San Francisco is that I can get on a bus on the trolley and, and listen to languages that I never heard before. And within the city, I mean, every, every other business establishment is a restaurant and then there are flavors and cultures from all over. So for me... I had American friends and I had a lot of foreign friends. I remember my landlord, Elena, an artist, a fine artist, and we connected instantly. And 
So just picture this. I'm looking for a place to live in San Francisco. Yes, I have a green car. I don't have any work. I don't have any credit history, any reference. No. How was your English at the time? Friends. My English was good, thanks to my parents that, <laughs> you know, always made an effort for us to, to talk English. So you had that at least. I had English. Yes, I had my charm and my English. That was it. <laughs> and um, and Elena, I'm going to different places, and I learned that to find a place to live in San Francisco is almost as if you're doing a casting call. So when you do a casting call, you go, you say, "I'm this and this and that." Follow your application, and you know, and then they choose for you. It's not that I choose where I want to live; it's that they choose who they want to rent the space to. And to me, I was like, "What? Foreign." It was not easy to find a place to live. And then I met this woman, Elena, and there was no words, just the eye-to-eye connection. She has the biggest, most beautiful round blue eyes I ever seen. And honestly, she has been through where I was going through. There were no words. And she gave me the apartment. So we became really good friends and she was a fine artist and she was, she will take care of the building and at the top room, she created a whole oasis, a bunch of plants and, and her art studio. So did you ever, was so much fun. Did you get to use the studio yourself for your own work ever? No, I didn't. We ate there. So we, she's from, uh, she's from Russia. So we ate Russian food and then I make Venezuelan food. It's all about food, isn't it? That's great. That's great. Uh, do you still stay in touch with her at all? I haven't. Last time I went in San Francisco, I, I went to the building. I knocked and I didn't, I didn't find her. her. Social media wasn't that, that alive. At that maybe, maybe you can find her online and look her up. I bet she'd like to hear from you. Yeah. Um, yeah. So... What moved, so from San Francisco, did you go to Hawaii from there? Yeah. What triggered that change? So um, the father of my son at the time got a job opportunity here in Hawaii. And both of us being originally from Venezuela, we thought it's very similar. Let's go. And we did. It's tropical. It's gorgeous. It's lush. It's very similar to home. So we came um, 13 years ago. And what did you, how did, what did you do when you got there? Did you, um, just kind of get situated for a while or did you immediately try to find some work or some film opportunities? So the first thing was to find a place to live and then instantly to get a job just to land. And then during that process, I learned, I didn't know this. I learned that Hawaii has an alive and pulsing film industry on many different levels. There are multiple TV shows that are shot constantly on island. There are films that come from the mainland to shoot here, international, and then the whole local market on its own. I was fascinated when I learned that and I said, I'm going to break in. And I did. I would imagine, yeah, like a lot of people probably go to Hawaii if they want to film a scene that's set in the Caribbean or in Southeast Asia or something like that. And they can kind of just stay in the U.S. And is that some of what happens is people just looking for that sort of beach locale? 
Yes, the other day, I give you an example. We were shooting in the Big Island and we were shooting for an airline company, a Canadian airline company. And we shot in multiple, very different beaches in the Big Island. And that was the purpose. One was Cancun. The other one was da-da-da. The other one was the black sand from Hawaii. And, you know, in, in one area, we were able to exactly that. That's awesome. That's so funny. And so the, the airline's probably talking about traveling to all these cool places. And, <laughs> and the secret is you just get up and move on the same island. <laughs> yeah. Just bring, you know, elements that will sell as Mexico. And... That could be a good ad for Hawaii, actually, where first off, you think you're seeing an ad for Mexico and Bali and this. You're like, actually, this is all in Hawaii. <laughs> there you go. That's a <laughs> Yeah. Okay, cool. So um, when did you move from, have you, have you been a director yourself? When did you move from AD to director? Oh, that's a great question. However, Hawaii has a different story. All right. Uh, here in Hawaii, I had to do what I never did back home in Venezuela. So I was very fortunate, right? two films straight into an AD position. If the film industry is tight worldwide, the industry here is times a hundred tight. It's very localized and it's, you know, people are very protective because there are local cultures and customs that protocols that by all means we want to preserve. And we don't want mainlanders or foreigners to, you know, change it. Um, so I was ready to direct as soon as I landed. And I'm like, I'm nine years into AD and I started cold calling and meeting people. And when they asked me, what do you want to do? And I'm like, well, I've been a first AD for this long. I'm ready to move on to directing. And oh boy. That was not well received. Um, it was rather harsh. I was told things like, you have too many problems. You are a woman and you are a foreigner. And I would be like, those are my weapons, right? That was my answer. Like, yes, those are my weapons that I'm not from here. And that I'm a female and I have a different perspective. Um, no, that didn't work well. So I had... What to type of people are you having these calls with? Are these like... Business people, money people, or are they other artists and creatives? This was production company people, advertising agency people, people that were going to hire me. People yeah. that I was the people with the money who were like allocating funds to yes. different things. Yeah, that I was saying, I was saying pretty much, "Hey, I'm great. Hire me." That's you know, in a nutshell. <laughs> and they had no idea who I was, what I did, what I did not do. Nothing. So I think it's common I, in like a lot of fields where. You, you would think it would translate, but people just aren't trusting when you switch countries. I know like if you're a doctor, I think you have to, like if you are, if you're a doctor in the UK, I don't think you can come to the States and just immediately practice medicine, unfortunately. Not just at like, all. Yeah. Not at all. So I started in Hawaii as a PA, as a production assistant. Things that, I, I mean, I left Venezuela here and then I started in Hawaii, like, down here and I'm like whatever it takes just give me the opportunity and I'll show you and I did 
So I so got them. How did you? Yeah. How did you deal with that with your your mood? It didn't. It didn't shake you. It didn't depress you. You you just how were you, how did you say positive through that? It was very humbling. It was a humbling experience, and and I'm like I'm. They need to know who I am, and this is. I mean, this is what is available. Then I'm gonna do it. So little by little, I started to ask questions, right? To producer, to the director, like, hey, um, I will see the frame because I always do. Do you want those orange cones back there? Oh, no, no, please, David, okay. And uh, do you want people crossing the frame in the next shot or do you want me to block? I started, or you know, I will do my duties that include serving coffee, actually, and... <laughs> Very, very, with so much tact, I would start asking these questions. So they started realizing that I knew what I said I knew, right? And So you were and kind of doing we, your job and the job that you wanted. I was doing the job of five, really. Yeah. And then but you were showing like, everybody that you could, you could do the work that you knew you could do. With the biggest smile, of course. <laughs> and uh, yes, and... Um, so quickly from production assistant, especially craft service, I moved into production. I never did production back home and I'm really good at it. It's just not my passion. My passion is to run the set or to What's the home. difference between production and the other roles you've been in? What's production like? I, production is so... Greed. It is. How can I explain it? Um, it's so ungrateful. We worked the longest hours. Most of the time, people. It's impossible to please everybody. Let's put it that way. It's extremely challenging. It has to do with all the logistics and also all the budgets, and then dealing with people's personalities. Um. Talent, clients, advertising agencies, crew. It's just like a lot. It's, it's all, the, all the back that people don't see, you know. That it sounds like if it's like, if, if the, to use our metaphor, if it, if it was instead of a film, like a restaurant or, uh, yeah, a restaurant. It's like, it's the people that are hosting. It's people that are basically facilitating the experience. And they're also like, like the logistics between the back of the house and the front of the house and all that. You got that right. Exactly like that. It's like a project manager. Yes. Um, so that's a big part of production. And then um, a first AD, I don't deal with the, I don't deal with the logistics. I run the set. So production makes everything happen until the day we shoot. And then they were still making things happen. But when, when we're on set and we're going to shoot, that baby is mine. And then I run with it. And, then, and the production is trying to basically create, like prevent stuff from interfering or distracting the set people from doing their work. They're kind of running interference for them to protect their time and focus. Correct. Exactly. And I will ask things of production. And yes, exactly. You got that right. Okay, cool. That makes sense. Yes. So, um, 
so then I was a producer and then I was also running the set because in local Hawaii industry, um, local TV commercials and things like that, crews are 20 or less and they really don't use a first AD, which um, that's the way they do it. It's their preference. To me, it's crucial. So I will be that person. So I will produce and run the set at the same time. Um, because I loved it because it's my favorite thing to do. Yeah. So how long did that period go when you were doing production mostly? Oh, still it's happening. Okay, cool. Cool. So you've basically been more in production. Okay, cool. Yeah. What are some of the most fun projects you've worked on since you've been in Hawaii film wise? You know, each one has its touch. However, I can name, we shot a music video with Katy Perry in Kauai. Okay. Called Harley's in, Harley's in Hawaii with Harley Davidson. And that was really fun. That was a fun shoot. She is fun and uh, a great performer. I guess on those music videos that they're often lip syncing, right? Are they not, they put the music on after the fact? We, we do have a playback all the time. And usually they will sing softly. They will not blast it out because they will focus more on performance. Nonetheless, you can hear that. Just. Okay. And then they just, yeah, augment it or supercharge exactly. it after the fact. Okay. Um, what has it been like to just live on the on Hawaii on the personal side? Is it is it nice? Does it have pros and cons living in such a kind of tropical place? There are more pros than cons, I think. And I think the island, everybody says that, local people will say that the island embraces you or kicks you out. You know, people do feel, some people can feel suffocated and like, you know, this is a rock and I don't have anywhere to go. Honestly, there is so much to do. The best part for me is Say I'm having a highly stressful day. I have the luxury to stop, get in my car, drive for five minutes and do a 10 minute beach walk and get in the ocean. And then I'm top of the planet. Like <laughs> talk about therapy. Like that's an instant research. It's so beautiful everywhere. So to me personally, Constance feeds my soul because there is so much beauty um, and the local ways and the local protocols are beautiful and highly community-based. So, so it's pretty, it's, it's loving, it's pretty, it's beautiful. I, I love it. And the best part of living in Hawaii for me is when I travel is to come back to Hawaii. <laughs> this is home. Like, okay. Are you on the big island? I'm on Oahu. We're okay. Honolulu and Waikiki are. Okay. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Awesome. I've yet to be yet to visit Hawaii, but I'm sure I'll I'll come at some point. But I've heard great things. Well, come over and then you tour the island and then you come to one come of my see a film sets. Set. There you go. I love it. I love it. Um have you ever um have you have you run into Max? He's another one of my clients. He's not very active, but Max, I think his Bal Balter is his last name. Do you know him? That's Balter. Not from the top of my head. 
Um, I should try to put you all in touch or maybe you can reach out to him, but he, he, uh, I connected with him on LinkedIn, uh, maybe a year ago and he's actually from Ukraine and he's a filmmaker from Ukraine and he fled the country when the war broke out and now is in the LA area. And it sounds like he has a very similar story to you. Just, he came from Eastern Europe to the U S and he's done a lot of first AD work, director work. Uh, I've seen his, um, show reel, I guess it's pretty cool. So I don't know if that would be a, a good connection, but just let me know. Oh, that would be a great connection. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. He seemed, he had just come to the States. And so I did a little bit of work with him, uh, to help him on his LinkedIn profile and getting more plugged into the LA area. So just like kind of, I imagine when you had to move to Hawaii for the first time, like getting that, getting plugged in, um, very cool. So when, you know, you and I started working together a few years ago, um, had you already been really picking up steam with your art career for a while before that? When, when did you start putting more attention into your art? Blessings to COVID. So as a filmmaker, I'm a freelancer, right? And work comes and goes. And then we are in a pandemic and I was one of those people totally oblivious that said, oh, this is going to go one, two weeks. This is just like panicking, <laughs> you know, and second week and third week and fourth week. And all of the sudden, all of, I had like half a year booked and all of my bookings were canceling and going away one by one. And I started looking for a job and it was very depressing because I have not had like a job for many years and I came to the realization that I was in denial. I was in denial that the only way for me to generate income was through filmmaking. I am travel, I'm educated, I speak multiple languages, I have multiple skills. It's like this, this it has to be a different way. Like I have to be able to produce in a different way. And I turn around and I'm like, oh my gosh, there are my paintings. So long story short, in two weeks, I, with a web designer, we put up a website up. I didn't even send out a email blast. I just emailed a few people and I saw two originals like that. And I'm like, oh, and then I started getting comments on my work and the feedback was actually great. Multiple people said that some of the visuals they saw reminded them of Georgia O'Keeffe, which I adore. And I was like, oh, wow. So it was in the middle of the pandemic. It, um, I chose to be an out of the closet artist in the middle of the pandemic as a creative solution for me and my son to provide for ourselves wow i didn't realize that that's cool um what when those people when you've sold those originals so quickly were those people that you had met through your work in the film industry or what were those sort of connections to you uh some film and then some personal from california actually yes okay mm -hmm. well the reason i ask is i feel like you've got such a like you said, you've got charm and you've got a great personality and I feel like you probably make friends wherever you go. So how do you feel? Do you feel like that your personality and your openness to new relationships 
played a role in your ability to make sales quickly and have make sales going forward? Yes, I would say the first sales that I made, knowing what I know, already rapport was established, already a relationship was there. They already trusted me. So all that, right, was built in. And then I'm like, here, guys, and I'm launching myself as a fine artist. And, you know, they were like, oh, my gosh, I'm, I want this and I want that. And I'm like, okay, and I'm shipping them to California. Um, yeah, it, it does help to have an open personality to be a little more ex on the extrovert side. Where do you think that comes from in you? Is that just something that you feel like you were born with or is it something that you intentionally worked on and developed at some point? I am a social butterfly by nature and thanks to filmmaking, Definitely, I have become socially aware and socially smart. I have the ability to talk to a kid as much as I have the ability to talk to a janitor or to a cop or to a CEO. Um, and that is because I have been exposed to all these people sometimes at the same time. So, yeah, filmmaking has helped in that department a lot. I would think so because the, just the nature of the industry, if, if it's a tight industry, but every three months or six months you're doing a different project, you're just meeting new people coming and going and you have to be somebody who can get along nicely with like new people and understand how to read different personalities. So I feel like it's just a, probably a, a, a survival instinct that you just developed naturally as a part mm -hmm. of being in that field. Um, it reminds me like when I, I went to college here in the U.S. and um, colleges in the U.S., at least the one I went to, it's very social and you just get to meet hundreds and hundreds of people. I think there were 16,000 or 18,000 undergrads, something like that at the school I went to. So you don't literally meet all those people, but you, you just have the opportunity to meet hundreds and hundreds of people. And in hindsight, I didn't think of it as practice or or any sort of professional benefit at the time but now looking back on it it was really helpful to me to develop my skills with um sort of the social media outreach that i teach you all and the social selling and all that stuff it's i just basically do what i did then and i just happen to do it online and that's kind of where that came from so um yeah so tell me a bit about your art practice today? Like, what is your art practice about? What is my art practice about? Yeah, what I are you... an art topic. Yeah, all right, tell so, me about that. Well, I use, I use high, I use the healing frequency of colors. That's right, okay. Create my pieces. And I believe there is power in beauty. So I paint beautiful imagery. And nowadays, I'm really focus on sunset seascapes. That's my art topic. So I That's a tongue twister. Specialize in that. Yeah. <laughs> That's a tongue twister. <laughs> sunset seascapes. Yes. <laughs> um, I like it though. I like it. Yeah. Uh, sunsets are powerful. There are all kinds of different benefits. 
and and then the colors that they provide are also spiritually lifting. So that's why, you know, that's my art topic, sunset seascapes. And I live in Hawaii, so I had to throw in the ocean somehow, right? There you go. I saw this amazing video clip from a space station the other day, and they were filming the earth moving and the sun setting. And I didn't realize this, but we're, you know, this when the sun's setting on land, there's it, the sky turns orange and pink and all those colors. Um, assuming they weren't faking this video, you know, you'd never know at the internet, but you could see this band on the earth where it was all orange. And then it's kind of cool to realize, oh, like it actually, you can see a sunset from space Above. looking down on earth. Yeah. Have you ever seen that? I have to send you, send you, and you can see it and get some inspiration from that. Wow. Um, I mean, I have seen sunsets from a plane, just, but however, not that high up. Yeah. No, this is like, yeah, seeing the curve of the earth and space behind wow. it, but there's a sort of band, the length of, you know, probably the, the, uh, well, it goes all the way down the side of the earth, but it width wise, it was like as wide as maybe a third of the U.S., the continental U.S., something like that. And it was just a very cool way to see a sunset. I never, I never realized, I thought that would always be a sort of a trick of the eye from being on land and from that perspective, but, but no, it's something that is just actually happening, um, from space as well. Um, how do you get, do you come up with your seascapes and sunsets from your own mind? Or do you often have inspiration from actual ones that you see in real life? All of the above. And I usually will blend. I'll give you an example of the last art commission I did was for a newlywed couple. And, and they had some ideas and they presented a few references. And then I showed a few references. And like I guide myself through multiple sources. And then I definitely make my own, right? That embraces elements from different uh, places that I am interested in or that the art collector is interested in. Okay, cool. And do you feel like, has your art style really developed and evolved over the years? Do you feel like it's changed since you got started? I feel I have explored in different ways. For instance, I have pieces that are much more realistic. I have pieces that could be more impressionist. I have, you know, I have blends of part realistic, part not that realistic. It's, um, I think it's a blend. That makes sense. Yeah. And um, you mentioned you had your, your son. Does your son paint with you at all? Is he an artist? He painted when he was little. Um, I had the opportunity to take, to take him to college here to multiple art classes. So he will be three and then I will be doing my thing. So I have my own station and he will have his own station. He will have a blast. He doesn't paint anymore. He's a soccer player wanting to pursue professionally soccer. Uh, however, I got him my few years of hanging out with me and painting together. That was so much fun. Maybe he'll get back to it at some point. 
it's in there somewhere, you know. <laughs> awesome. Well, it's been so great, Faye, to chat with you for a bit. Is there anything else that you wanted to share or discuss? Um, um, no, not really. Um, maybe an invitation for people, especially artists that yeah. are curious about you and the academy and what you guys have to offer. Um, it's a phenomenal program. I have taken different art programs and I definitely can attest that uh, Unserving Artists is, is the best. It's the best That's so very far. Kind. Yeah, it's true. It, I, have, I have received the most out of this program and the way we're taken by the hand and the level of research and knowledge is, is phenomenal. So thank you. And I hope people that are curious, you know, get an opportunity to explore a little bit more and maybe decide to work together. Sure. What has been, but yeah, where, where are some areas that you've grown a lot on the business side of things, you know, insights or improvements in your activities that you've been doing? Anything you can share that have been breakthroughs for you? Each lesson has been a breakthrough. And I'll give you a tangible example that comes yeah. to mind because I'm looking at it. I'm looking at my daily routine and it's a forever work in progress. And the fact that I needed to sit and create my own daily routine and to block areas for this and for that is, it was an amazing exercise. Um, each, each tool that we have, like the more I go through, I'm, I'm more than 50% advancing the program. And the more I advance, the more professional I feel, not only on my, my technique, because while well, I paint and my own technique refines itself, it's more the ways, it's more the protocols is like, okay, now I have a Calendly account and it's more, more professional to get an appointment this way than a forever back and forth with a potential art collector. It's just all these little tools that ultimately make me, make us artists more professional and, and artists. We don't necessarily have to think much about the business, right? However, the way you guys integrate it all is, is beautiful. It's, it's very holistic, actually. For sure. Yeah, no, that's a great insight because it's, um, you know, a prospective collector, they're not going to consciously notice if you have a Calendly or you don't have a Calendly. Uh, but they will, yeah, if you just make everything smooth and like streamlined and professional and work with you. It's just going to build all this trust and confidence and show up in people saying yes to work with you. And it's, it's almost invisible. Like you can't, if, if you're not looking for it, if you're not aware of these details, you're, it's, you're just going to miss it. But, um, I hope, yeah, it sounds like at minimum you're, you're, you have so much more awareness of all those details and how you're putting yourself forward and presenting yourself, um, to new people, you know, and making those first impressions beyond the, the canvas itself. Um, any reaction to that? What do you mean any reaction to that? Do you have anything to add or share or react to what I just, what I just said? 
The only thing that I can say is that it works and it works by experience because I, I have done it, I sign up, I'm, I'm doing it and, and it works. It's great. What do you feel like is ahead for you? What are you focusing on the next three months with your art practice? My next three art commissions. So at this red hot second, I don't have one in the pipe. I don't have one. So I am focusing on getting my queue of our commissions in line for cool. the next three months. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. I heard a, a good idea the other day of, um, you know, a lot of businesses about focus, right? And what you just shared as a focus to some of us, it might just, oh, that's, that's so basic. It, it's not very sexy, but it's like, that's actually where things happen. It's like, if you can just focus six inches in front of your face, like what is the one thing that matters? And yeah, I think you nailed it. It's like, just get that next commission, keep practicing these skills. Um, and then the next one will be a little bit easier and the next one will be a little bit easier. And then it just goes from there. So if people want to learn more about you or connect with you, where can they find you online? They can find me through my website, femariavasquez.com. And then I have an Instagram and it's femariavasquezart. Awesome. Yeah. Well, Faye, so good to chat with you. Let's catch up again soon. Thank you, Harry. Have a great day. What All right. Pleasure. Bye, everybody. Bye.